Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. We've got a lot of topics, but we brought up a topic last week. I mentioned a phrase. The spiritual mechanics. It's the mechanics of how you get in touch with the spiritual side of Christ. It's not, it's not about necessarily physical realities. One of the things that people are constantly mistaking is the fact that uh, they think that if I do things on the outside, in the physical world, this will change me spiritually. And it's actually the reverse. Witchcraft is the idea that you can conjure up spirituality or spiritual events or spiritual effects by changing the physical environment. You know, you're double-double boiled in trouble uh, you, you know, you put your eye of newt in the cauldron and uh, you say the magic words and you make something happen in this spiritual dimension. We'll call spiritual reality a dimension. It's another dimension to the creation of of God and by God. First, there was spirit and the spirit created the physical world. By God breathing, breath is often uh, associated with the idea of spirituality. But he breathed the physical existence of the world into our reality and us into that reality by his breath, by his spirit, by his pneumos, they would say in the Greek. So that's really important to understand that, that that dynamic. So one of the things that Paul talks about is that you you can't do anything to secure your salvation. You know, the keeping of the law. And of course now he's using this word about law as a, you know, it's a very generic word in the Greek. There's only one word that they usually translate into law in the Greek. And when he is arguing or explaining things to the Romans and to the Jews that are still trying to affect the activity of Roman Christians, is that the working of this statutory law that was created by people like the Pharisees and the Tzaddiks and different people who would claim to be righteous by their actions... He he said that the keeping of that rigorous, dogmatic, uh, liturgical law, the statutes of Moses as interpreted by a certain mindset, is not going to get you into the kingdom of, of God. You can't keep them anyway. Jesus was making that clear that you won't be able to keep them. But if you receive the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God into you, this anointing of this Holy Spirit into you, then keeping of the law is not that big a deal. You will just automatically, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, period. If you love an artificial image of Jesus Christ that is created out of your own imagination, out of your tree of knowledge, then keeping the commandments will become difficult and strained and you will be fudging all the time on the keeping of the commandments. And and for instance, like the commandment not to covet. 
anything that has thy neighbor. You can't want or desire anything that belongs to your neighbors. Well, that just cuts out socialism entirely from a Christian agenda. Christian cannot be a socialist. You cannot desire any benefit that is derived at the expense of your neighbor and still claim to be a Christian with any honesty. You just can't do it. I and mean, physically, it's impossible because desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, even though it's the government legitimately takes from your neighbor to provide you with these benefits, or takes from your neighbor's children or grandchildren, because if they're borrowing the money, that somebody's got to pay it back, and that will be the children and grandchildren. If you desire any benefits whatsoever from a government that exercises force in the, abs- uh, the, the contraction of benefits from your neighbor, or the means to provide those benefits from your neighbor, then that's not Christianity. That's, that's contrary to the teachings of Christ, contrary to the teachings of Moses, contrary to the commandments, and you're certainly not loving your neighbor as yourself. You, you love yourself more than your neighbor and you want something at the expense of your neighbor. That's coveting. Very simple. You can't get around that. There's no logical way to say it's not coveting your neighbor's goods to desire benefits provided at the expense of your neighbor. It just, there's, you can't deal with that any other way than to say that that is coveting your neighbor's goods. So you're not keeping the commandments. You're not keeping the commandments of Christ. And you're not keeping them because you don't really love Jesus. You love an artificial Jesus created in your imagination, usually with the help of ministers who you often pay dearly for their service, which their service to you is to make you feel good about sinning against God, about unrighteousness. You you want to feel good about your unrighteousness, so you hire ministers and pay them large sums of money to make you feel good. And, of course, they get big screen TVs and a lot of music, and they learn to kind of mesmerize people with their thoughts and their actions and their words so that you... And then you do this in a big group where you collectively avoid the truth. You absolutely avoid the truth that you are actually engaged in covetous practices. And you create whole religions to make you feel good about your salvation, that you're saved, you're okay, you're this wonderful person because you love Jesus, while in fact you are encouraging governments or men of power to take away from your neighbor so that you can have what you want. And this has become absolutely pervasive in the world today. It's a collective unconsciousness. And so, you're not a Christian if you're a part of such a scheme. And most people are a part of such a scheme. And so, they're not really Christians. Most most people claiming to be Christians are not really followers of Christ. They're followers of a Christ that has been created 
by theologians and apostate ministers and, you know, false prophets and all sorts of people, which, of course, has brought the world. So I just heard somebody talking today about the European Union is a total failure. Only one, one in a million thinks that the European Union is a success and the European Union is all about socialism. You know, that they talk about uh, people in Spain having social welfare so that nobody goes hungry at night and everybody has some sort of shelter and all this stuff. But 20% of the population is unemployed and the rest of them are overtaxed. And the country's still in debt and the debt is is rising. And they thought by becoming the European Union, they would take money from the few successful countries or the hardworking countries. They would take money from those countries to pay the debt of the other countries who have all this unemployment but still want to provide all this benefits. And, of course, there are corrupt people in government that are constantly raking money off of the treasury. And we see the results of that in countries that are to the extreme, like Venezuela, where all the leaders go away, multimillionaires, even billionaires, because they just were raking the money off the top. And then, of course, they were all dependent on the fact that they nationalized the oil fields, taking them away from the rich people, those bad, bad rich people, and then making themselves rich in the process, and paying for all the government benefits with the oil at first. But then when the price of oil dropped, the country found itself totally bankrupt, and they can't even feed the people. The people are starving in the streets. They're eating their dogs and cats, and, I mean, they, they're dying. People are dying in the streets, and, and there's kind of a news blackout, because that's not a popular thing to look at in America, who is deciding, the Americans are today deciding to go total socialist. I mean, they've been going socialist for a long time, people talk about America. How's that working out for you? How's uh, capitalism working out for you? It's the strain from capitalism and the principles of capitalism that is bringing America down. Socialism is what's bringing America down. But really, we can we don't have to use the word socialism. That's kind of a political term. Covetousness would be a religious term, but socialism and covetous are are connected. They're, they're, they're inseparable concepts. Socialism, you believe that you have a right to what your neighbor produces. If you don't produce enough, you have a right to what they produce so that you will not suffer the consequences of not producing enough. Now, you might not produce enough because you got hit by a car and you couldn't work or, you know, lightning bolt struck you and you couldn't work or, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why you didn't produce enough. It could be that you are lazy, selfish, got up late, went left work early. You know, I, I've, I've been in contact with somebody who has been un, underemployed for years. But he blames this on everybody else, but it's actually his own fault. Because he, you, when he was looking for a job once, he says, oh, I don't want that kind of job because that doesn't make me happy. The fact is, is I've worked at all kinds of things that didn't necessarily make me happy. <laughs> you know, crawling into a septic tank to, to uh, clean out a root mass <laughs> didn't make me happy. I was kind of happy when we succeeded, but that was just a brief moment of the entire arduous <laughs> trial. 
you know, shoveling manure doesn't make me happy, but strawberries make me happy. So I have to shovel the manure to get the strawberries. That's just the way it works in life. If you say, well, I don't want to shovel manure, but I want strawberries, that isn't going to work. That doesn't work that way. And so, why do you say you don't want to do this? Because you don't equate. I mean, like having a family. I want to have children, but I don't want to change diapers. Well, that just doesn't work. You know, you have to change diapers if you're going to have children. Or make your wife do it. And then, if you make your wife do all the disagreeable tasks, you're not much of a husband. You're certainly not like Christ. Christ came down and did everything that you do. He he was rich, but he made himself poor so that he could provide for the needy of society. When there, everybody was hungry and he says, do we have any food? And they said, we have some fish and loaves here. He took them, blessed them, and gave them away. He didn't eat them. He gave them away to other people. He went hungry. Rather than feed himself. But if you're going to be the kind of person that I don't want to do this unless it makes me happy, then expect to fail. Expect to be underemployed. Expect to not be given extra work. You know, my, my sons went to work, uh, at places and, uh, and they, they're in constant demand. The, the people want them to work 60, 70 hours a week. Because they are workers and they get it done. Well, they, but they let other people skate by because it's more trouble to them. They have bad supervisors there that, that don't actually go out and supervise the workers and say, look, you're not doing your job. When you don't do your job, this guy has to take up the slack and all the burden falls on him. So why are we paying you when he's doing all the work? You either get busy or find someplace else to sit all day. <laughs> you know, that's just, you know, get a street corner somewhere and a sign. You either work or leave. And you just, have, and that's what you have to do. I mean, who would be a good parent if they let their kids get away with not working? You know, oh, you didn't do your chores? Oh, here, have some ice cream. No. You didn't do your chores? You don't get any ice cream. <laughs> That's just the way it is. You, you don't shovel manure. You don't get strawberries. That's life. You teach your children how life works. God is trying to teach you how life works. But your ministers are trying to say, you get to go to heaven because you say you believe in Jesus. But that's not what Jesus said. And it's not really what Paul said. And, you know, I'm going, I'm still going through that long list of things where they said Jesus said this, but Paul said this. And when I, I, it's, it's a really a arduous pain to go through that article because most of the time Jesus didn't say what they said he said because they take it out of context. And most of the time Paul didn't say what they say Paul said because they take it out of context. Paul is very clear that if you don't do things right, if you aren't righteous, we're to have nothing to do with you, no matter whether you say you believe in Jesus or not. Jesus says, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do with the will of the Father. But again, let's go back to that spiritual mechanics. You 
cannot do the will of the Father and then have God owe you salvation. You have to accept Christ into your heart, the anointing of that Holy Spirit, or you will not be able to keep the commandments. Now, you'll be able to break the commandments and go to ministers who say, that's okay. You know, like ministers who say, you don't have to say you're sorry because Jesus has already forgiven you. No. You know, and this is, you know, so I, I put him an article about Jesus. I, d- I did this a long time ago, but who is the real Jesus? Did he die for your sins? Let's put it, let's say that a different way. Did he die for your sins? You know, actually what it says in the Bible is that, uh, uh, like John 3.17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's not a guarantee. That's might be saved. In John 5.34 he says, But I received not the testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. They say that over and over again. They might be saved. In Romans 10.1 Might be saved. So, the question is, are you one of those people that will be saved? Because you might not be saved. If you might be saved, you might not be saved. Jesus did what he was supposed to do, but you very clearly may not be saved. You know, he told us many things about what we should do. But the ministers don't tell you about what you should do and what you should not do. They just say, believe. But that's not going to cut it. That's not going to make you saved. Jesus is very clear. Not those who say, Lord, Lord. But those who do with the will of the Father. Not again that that doing brings about the Holy Spirit. But if you're not doing, you know you don't really believe. Once you believe... You will be doing. So if you're not doing, you don't really believe yet. You believe in something. And you may call it Jesus. You may call it Christ. But it isn't the real Christ. And you'll need to conjure up emotional feelings to substitute for the Holy Spirit. He, he Jesus makes it clear that many, many, he says, will think they love him. And that they do things for him, etc. But ha- but they have been deceived into believing in a false image of Jesus. A false doctrine of Jesus. And so now I come along and say, no, that's fake gospel. <laughs> that's fake good news. It's not real. It's not really the good news. The good news is that you can be saved. You can be forgiven. Are you forgiven your sins because Jesus died? Is that what Jesus said? Because I'm going to die, you'll be automatically forgiven your sins. But that's not what Jesus said. 
So what did Jesus say? You know, I'm going to tell you what Jesus said, because I got to teach the doctrines of Jesus. I'm not going to teach the doctrines of men who tell you that you don't have to do anything and you're automatically forgiven. You can sin against somebody. You don't have to go and tell them you're sorry and you're just automatically forgiven because you believe in Jesus. That's that's poppycock. Matthew 6.14, it says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, Jesus says that. But I'll tell you this, you cannot forgive your neighbor without the Spirit of Christ in you. You cannot forgive people your trespasses. Could you hang on a cross where people just nailed you to that cross and say, I forgive you, you know not what you do? Or will you be screaming and yelling, you son of a guns, what the heck are you doing nailing me to a cross? I mean, this is spiritual mechanics, but you got to have the fuel of Christ in your tank. <laughs> you got to have real fuel. In, you can't put water in there. You got to put the real combustible fuel of Christ in your tank. Matthew 6.15 goes on to say, But if you forgive not men their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. No matter how much you say you believe. Now, no matter how much you tell me you believe in Jesus or you love Jesus. If you're not forgiving others, you will not be forgiven. That's the doctrines of Jesus. I, I can't change that. That's what he's telling you. So if you see somebody who says they believe in Jesus, but they're not forgiving somebody that trespassed against them. Well, you know, like for instance, you've been paying into Social Security for years. Many of you have been paying in 20, 30, 40 years, sometimes 50 years you've been paying in. But the guys in charge have spent all that money. They've already spent everything that you put in. There's nothing in there for you. All the money you put in, that's gone. That was given away to, to sometimes to old people, sometimes to heroin addicts, sometimes to uh, lazy people, uh, people who know how to work the system. It's just been given away, left and right, and it's gone. It isn't, it isn't there anymore. Everything you paid in is gone. So, are you going to forgive them? Or are you going to tell them, okay, you spent everything I put in there. You go take from my neighbor. Because I paid in. I want to get something back. So you go take from my neighbor. And you can take from my neighbor's kids even. You can borrow the money so that you can take from my neighbor's kids. And, and you can even take from my neighbor's grandkids who I don't even know. But I want my money back in Social Security payments. Even though I know the system is bankrupt. That's not somebody who's forgiving that's somebody who's covetous. So what are you going to do? Starve to death? No. Repent. <laughs> Think a different way. Let's go a different way. We can do this. With the help of the Spirit. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. That's where you're at. You've been biting one another to get those benefits that you want. You want to feed the... Oh, I don't want it for myself. I want them to take care of the poor. Okay, why don't you take care of the poor? Well, I can't do it all myself. Well, then why don't you get together with other people and take care of the poor? Why do you have to use men who exercise authority one over the other to take care of the poor? You know, there's an amazing thing. If you go amongst the wealthy elite, especially like actors, who are often wealthy because they act. (laughs) It's not that, you know, for some reason they have a knack for acting. You know what the difference between an actor and a liar is? Well, no, there isn't any difference. (laughs) They, They pretend, and they pretend real well, and so they get to be actors, and they get popular. And they make lots of money. I mean, the, the people in the Big Bang Theory I heard the other day get a million dollars an episode. Film one episode and they get a million bucks. I would feel guilty. Wouldn't you feel guilty if you got made that much money for doing maybe a week's work? Acting? Where people wait on you hand and foot? And you just have to pretend? <laughs> That's amazing. I'm not saying it's not work, but a million dollars a week? <laughs> that's that's a lot of work. That's a lot of money. Uh, I would feel guilty making that kind of money. I would want to go out and use that money for good to do something with it. It would be a, such a blessing to have those kinds of funds to go out there and help other people. Strengthen the poor, not just give to the poor. You know, because I mean, people do that all the time. They go out and they give to the poor. They give to the missions. You know, somebody's in abject poverty and they don't have clean drinking water. So you give to the missions so that they can drill a well. And these people can have clean water. Well, that's good that you help those people out. But why did you help them out? To get a good feeling about helping people out? Uh, If you really want to help those people out, teach them how to drill their own well, and then they can start a well drilling business and go around to all the other communities and drill wells and become well-to-do and buy more equipment and, and strengthen their whole community. If you come in and drill the well and then leave, then they have to, you know, next time they need a well, they have to come to you. Why not teach them how to do it themselves? And sometimes they do do that. You know, like we had somebody write us and wanted us to donate to a mission in Africa. And we looked up the people in Africa and, and the mission. What a lot of people don't understand is how these works. I mean, like I when I years ago, I saw the American Missionary Fellowship and I was trying to figure out. So these these guys, they join the American Missionary Fellowship and they go around to small towns that don't have a minister and they volunteer. And they get donations. Well, they would have to pay taxes on those donations. But if they take that money that they're receiving as donations and filter it to their organization, their American Missionary Fellowship or whatever it is, 
I don't want to pick on them because I haven't read in detail how they construct everything, but I got a pretty good idea because I talked to some of them. Say you give, they collect $30,000 in donations in a year. Well, do they get to keep all that money? Well, no, nobody gets to keep all the money they earn because the government's going to want to share. But if they send that money to another religious organization, that religious organization will deposit a portion of that money tax-free because it's going to a pension. They can actually invest that money and make more money on the money that they invested tax-free because it's for a pension fund. That's all going to be tax-free. So they're not going to have to pay a lot of money on those taxes and they may have another regular job, but they're building a retirement fund for themselves and all the other missionaries who use that system are building a retirement fund for themselves, which gives this company a lot of money to invest and make more money with. And then they get more people doing this every year. And so when they start paying out those pensions, a lot of times they're not taking it from the money they collected. That remains kind of reserve fund, constantly building the rest of the money. They pay it from the money that they produce with those funds. And so they end up being in charge of millions of dollars. And, you know, if the if the minister dies before 65, he doesn't get a single payout. All the money he pays in, he doesn't get. You know, maybe maybe his wife will get some of that. But uh, if they both die, they're killed in a car accident and they're, when they're 65 years old, all that money stays with the original company. <laughs> <laughs> they just made a bundle off those people who worked for 20 years to build up this pension fund, which they're never going to collect. Now they can use that money to pay other pensions, but then they got other people paying in. It's a moneymaker. And it's sold as, you know, a religious organization. And guys make lots of money and pay themselves good salaries, you know, $200,000 a year salaries to manage these funds. And then the lawyers make money off of it. And you think, well, it's going to support the ministry. The ministry of what? A ministry usually designed to make you feel good about your own pension fund. Which is not a pension fund. It's Social Security. Social Security is not insurance. It's not a pension fund. It's a system of core V. And if you don't know what that means, you should look it up. But you probably won't because you're too lazy. But some of you have. And some of you are finding out that this is what that system where you had to pay in a portion into a treasury was making the word of God to none effect because you weren't living by faith, hope, and charity. Now, those ministers are collecting charity from people, but under false pretenses because they're saying they're preaching to you about Christ. But did they ever tell you you weren't to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other? Did they ever tell you that that would be biting one another, as they say in Galatians 5, you know, 15, 5.13, Brethren, you have been called unto liberty, but not liberty to sin. You know, and they tell you not to use that liberty for an occasion of flesh. Well, desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor is an occasion of flesh. It is biting your neighbor, so that you will have a full belly. 
It's devouring one another through socialism. This has happened in the European Union is that they all their money is used up. Even the countries that, you know, are making lots of money are, are used up. They can't pay Turkey and Spain and Ireland for all their bankruptcies. They can't do it. They just can't make that much. And so it's all going down. It's a house of cards. The United States has not been following capitalism. It's been moving in the direction of socialism. And now I heard on the news today that uh, there was some parade. It was like a rose parade or something uh, that was canceled. Because the leftists, you know, the ones who want social welfare for free and everybody get a guaranteed wage and everybody get, you know, high minimum wage and all this stuff, said they would attack any of the people that, you know, any of the conservatives that show up at the parade. And the parade people says, well, we can't guarantee your safety. We can't guarantee your salvation. (laughs) So we're going to cancel the parade. We aren't the home of the brave and the land of the free. We are enslaved and we are frightened little children. And we are fit for the first despot that comes along and wants to rule over us. And all your outrage is not going to be, you know, I don't want you to be mad at them. I don't want you to be angry with them. I want you to forgive them. Because that's going to put you over there on that side of spiritual mechanics. If you don't forgive, neither will your father forgive you. If he doesn't forgive you, he can't intervene on your behalf. As a matter of fact, he he will say, get you from me, you workers of iniquity. When you knock at the door, like the foolish virgins, he's not going to let you in. Because you haven't been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have to turn around your thinking and think the other way in order to find that. So this this whole Jesus guy and what he was doing, I mean, if you read the Bible, it's mostly about government. You know, the government's Pharaoh, government's of Caesar, the government of God, and the difference between the two. The government of God, you do not bite one another. You depend upon faith, hope, and charity. You do not force one another to contribute for your benefit. You do not borrow against the future, but you keep the Sabbath and only use what you have already produced. You guys don't do that. You got guys keeping Saturday or got special calendars where they count seven days and they say, this is the Sabbath and I keep it, so therefore I am righteous. Poppycock. If you're in debt, you're not righteous. Another thing about this, all these rich people, these rich actors, and it doesn't have to be actors, but you see it with the actors because they get into the news a lot. They want socialism. They advocate uh, socialist um political figures political figures that offer you free stuff free education free health care free this free that they support them we should take care of the poor meanwhile they sit in their million dollar mansions there are very few actors who really share their wealth in a charitable way with the needy certainly not like christ But they're all for taking from others. You know, making others pay. Why? Guilt. Rich man's guilt. Especially if you get that money, like you just inherited it or something like that. You have this guilt. 
Or how about if you're one of the spoiled rich kids? Your parents were well-to-do. You lived in a real nice neighborhood. I mean, you look at Che Guevara, Castro, all these guys. They come from wealthy families. They got wealthy family, uh, child of a wealthy family syndrome. <laughs> they have guilt because they're rich and they were born rich. I mean, some of the people in Black Lives Matter, some of the organizers in that, they're not ghetto blacks. They're from rich blacks. Blacks who, I mean, there is no country in the world that is less prejudiced against races than America. Almost any race in America can become great success. Anybody of any race can become a great success if they're willing to work. Oh, they'll probably run into racism. People, you know, some people don't like blacks and they'll they'll be prejudiced. Some people will be prejudiced towards women. Some people will be prejudiced towards redheads. Some people will be prejudiced towards brunettes because their first wife was a brunette. <laughs> I don't know. People are prejudiced. Get used to it. Get over it. Forgive. And get busy with your own life. Stop whining and crying about other people. And what their problems are. And start looking for your own problems. You'll be a success if you work at it. If you're industrious. And even if you you don't make as much money as you would like to make. You'll have friends. Because people will. You'll also have enemies. It always goes with the territory. But people will notice this guy is so kind. And so forgiving. And so hard working. I want to help him out. I want to, I want to give him more work. I want to give him more opportunities. You will draw those opportunities to you. People, people, good people will go out of the way to help you. And I've seen it over and over again. And, but you can't do it for that purpose. You have to do it because you actually love other people. You, you, as much as you love yourself. But if you love yourself as much as you, you know, more than you love other people. You're on the wrong side of the equation. You're going to be drawn spiritually. You're going to be drawn to a dimension where such selfish people dwell. Such selfish entities dwell. That We call that place hell. Heaven is where the unselfish people go. The people like Christ who are willing to lay down their life for their fellow man. To... To give to in a way that strengthens the poor. Those people are drawn towards heaven. That's spiritual mechanics. It's just going to draw you that way. You know, if you had two wooden ships out in the middle of the ocean on a becalmed sea where they, they had no wind, so that they're sailing ships, so therefore they can't sail. And, and they're a quarter of a mile apart. And they're just drifting there on the water. They will drift towards each other. The mass of one ship will be drawn towards the mass of another ship. Without wind to move them in a direction, they're going to be drawn towards each other. Because they have a similarity mass. That similarity is their, their mass. And they're both drawn towards each other. At the same rate. They will both be drawn at the same rate. No matter if one is bigger than the other, they'll both be drawn towards one another at the same rate. 
That's just the laws of the universe. You can't change that. That's just going to happen. Well, the laws of the universe include also that if you are selfish, you're going to be drawn towards the selfish. If you are unselfish, if you are caring, if you are loving, you are forgiving, you're going to be drawn towards the other people, the other entities, the other realm. You'll be drawn towards the kingdom of heaven. One will pull you down to it and the other one will pull you up to it. This is spiritual mechanics. You know, I've written a lot of articles, uh, started putting together something on spiritual mechanics, but I already have something on spiritual economics, which is part of the same thing. And uh, there's links on that page to the mysteries of the universe and to uh, quantum. You know, what, what? what is this quantum and the dendritic trees, the two trees, uh, spiritual DNA uh, and gene expression. Uh, I got an article on heaven. Uh, I got one on no devils and demons. Some people believe there's no devils and demons. There's no these other spiritual entities. But there are. You know, I just saw a news report. It's an old report of somebody who was uh, trapped in a car and, and they they couldn't get out. And there were all kinds of rescue workers there trying to to get this person extricated but their equipment wasn't working it was they were too jammed in there and they were afraid that the girl was going to die and she said she wanted the rescue workers to pray with her aloud and so they did they prayed with her aloud and a guy shows up with a little white vial and says he wanted to pray with her and and they let him and uh, he prays with her, and then he turns to them and he says, Your equipment will now work. You will save her. And he leaves. And just as he leaves, uh, a uh, another rescue uh, equipment shows up from a nearby town and it had better equipment. And their equipment was able to get her out, and she underwent operations and everything, but she she's going to live. Well, they went back and they, people tried to find out who is this guy who just showed up to help her with his little white vial and prayed with her and told them that their equipment would work. Who was he? And they, nobody knew who he was. And they checked all the churches nearby and all the communities and nobody knew who he was. Nobody ever heard of him. Uh, and they couldn't figure out where he even came from. So they went and looked at the pictures that were being taken all the time by the rescue workers and everybody else. And he never showed up in any of the pictures. They couldn't find the guy anywhere. <laughs> Still to this day, nobody knows who he was. He just shows up. You know, it's one of those cute little miracle stories. But such miracles, I see the same thing happening in the Bible. You know, you got Jesus and the apostles and Jesus ascending. And and there's these guys standing nearby all dressed in white. And they talk to the apostles. They don't say their name is Steve or Bob or they don't know who they are. They're just these guys dressed in white saying, why do you look up? You know, don't you know he's going to come the same way he left? And Who are they? <laughs> what dimension did they come from? <laughs> so, you know, you can get carried away with thinking about all these things and, and get distracted. Simplicity of this is in spiritual mechanics. If you love your neighbor as yourself, if you're willing to lay down your life for your fellow man, 
God will bless you. The universe will bless you. It's built into the system. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you give, you'll be given too. Now, you have to give wisely. You have to give in a way that strengthens the poor. You have to give away. You know, you don't want to give to the guys who mesmerize people into thinking that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. You don't want to give to those guys. They may give you a really good feeling when you go and preach and they play their music and they sing their songs. But that's not who you should be supporting. That's not the work of God. That's the work of Satan. Satan is is trying to keep people from seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He wants to keep people from striving. He wants to keep people from persevering. Which Jesus told you to do. Jesus said, strive, persevere, count the cost, put your hand to the plow and don't take it away. Don't give up. Continue with me. That's what Jesus is saying. But this other preachers are saying, you don't have to do anything. You just have to think a thought and say these words and you're saved. You testify with your mouth only that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God or that He died for your sins and then you're automatically saved. When Paul talks about these things, he's he knows that confession and testimony has to be in word and deed. He already knows that. But when he's talking to people who are afraid to share the gospel because they don't they fear persecution. He says to them you need to testify with your mouth. You can't just hide your liberty under a lamp, you know, under a bushel basket. You have to tell them, this is what we have to do. We have to start caring about one another like Christ cared about us. We have to sacrifice for one another as Christ sacrificed for us. And then you have to actually gather together so you create the kingdom of God which is a mutual fund of righteousness. So this this is part of the mysteries of the universe to most people. They just don't get these things. They don't understand how this all works. This, uh, you know, the universe is divided between light and darkness. But darkness doesn't exist. So where's the division? These are the way we recognize darkness because light is absent. That's how we know it's dark because we don't see any light. <laughs> right? It's that simple. Well, if you look at a Christian church and you see them all coveting their neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority one over the other, we know that's not really a Christian church and those people who go to there are not really Christians. Because they don't really believe in what Jesus said. They're going to tell Jesus, oh, we had a great church, we had great meetings, we had great altar calls, we had thousands of people come to our altar calls. You know, Billy Graham once said that the thing he fears the most is that he's going to hear Jesus say, get you from me, you workers of iniquity. You worker of iniquity. (laughs) He wants to hear, come in, you good and faithful servant. But how... Is he really bringing people to what we see the first century church doing? 
His churches don't do what the first century church did. They were the entire social welfare for Christians who would not go to the altars of Caesar because they exercised authority in forcing people to contribute to the welfare of everybody. They knew, Christian, early Christians knew that was coveting their neighbor's goods. That was a covetous practice. They knew that if we do this, if we participate in this covetous practice of desiring benefits from Caesar, that we would be making the word of God to none effect. So they wouldn't do it. So what do you do? Well, we'll be back and talk about what you do do to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. talking about what Christ said to do that that's part of his doctrines is that you had to be this doer of the word and this doer of the word is he conjuring up the Holy Spirit by what he does how does that work into spiritual mechanics if the spirit must come first well doing is part of emptying out the garbage that's already in your heart and your mind and your soul so that the Holy Spirit may come in. Cleaning your house. He talks about that to somebody, you know, where he casts out demons. But if you don't change, it, they will come back in and they'll be worse than they were before. So this doing is mostly about scrubbing your own house, keeping your own house clean. It's allowing the God to light a candle in you. The, what the Hebrew calls the Yad, the, the divine light. In you. To start showing you the way. Modern Christian is often not doing. What Christ told us to be doing. And this not doing. Uh, takes many forms. But uh, this not doing. Keeps the Holy Spirit out. It keeps him from coming in. Uh, you know that's why he talks about. Unburdening yourself. Taking off the things that that are burdening you, that are weighing you down, and, and so that you can take up his burden, which is light. They are doing, the modern Christians are doing the very thing that Christ condemned the Pharisees for doing. Uh, he told them that the their Corban, their sacrifice, was making the word of God to none effect because it was no longer a free will offering. It was forced offering. There were guys actually collecting your offering in the way that we would call it taxation. Because there was no taxes. It was only tithing. Free will offerings. Free will offerings. Free will offerings. Which is the definition of charity. For hundreds of years in Israel. But now they were forcing the offering until John the Baptist came along. Everybody was using that force. But John the Baptist said, no, let's go back to charity. 
And the early Christians gathered together in a charitable network of giving in a way to help those who were also gathering in the network to, to help the other people seeking the kingdom of God and righteousness. They weren't just going to give to everybody. They weren't just going to go up and throw their money off the rooftops. They were going to give to those who were seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And they might find them outside of their network of churches. But then they're going to, those people are going to want to come into that network if they're really seeking the kingdom because they want to sacrifice too. Because Christ sacrificed. Christ is now entering into them so they will want to sacrifice. Jesus said, call no man on earth father. And we've explained that the father was the senators of Rome and the emperor himself were all called father because they were the conscripted fathers. They were providing the benefits of a natural father and they were becoming not children of God, but children of the state. Jesus talks about giving you the power to become children of God. That means you're going to not look to your father in Sydney, Australia, or, or Quebec, or Ontario, or Washington, D.C., or London. You're going to look to your Father in heaven for your benefits. He also told them to attend to the weightier matters. And those who don't attend to the weightier matters, you know, are, are bad, are wicked. They should have should be doing that. What are the weightier matters? Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Mercy, that has to do with charity again. It has to do with forgiveness. But Christians aren't doing that. They're not tending to law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They're going to church and singing songs and listening to a preacher that tells them they're saved. Because that's what they want to hear. They want to hear that they're saved. But you're only saved if... If, you know, if you really are doing the will of the Father. Not because you do the will of the Father, but because you do the will of the Father, we know that you may be saved. You might be one of those saved. But if you're not doing the will of the Father, we know you're not one of those that are saved. Because if you really love Jesus, you would be keeping His commandments, including the commandment, Thou shalt not covet. You know, you pay into governments. I'm not saying don't pay into the governments. If you owe Caesar, pay Caesar. This is that was a trap when they asked that question. So I'm going to tell you the same answer. He, if you owe Caesar, pay Caesar. But if you want to seek the kingdom of God in that perfect law of liberty, you have to think a different way. That's called repentance. Most modern Christians cannot even tell you what Corbin is. They don't know that it means sacrifice, even though it's translated treasury. That's how they filled up the treasury, with your sacrifice. But if the sacrifice is not a free will offering, if it's a forced offering, it's not the Corbin of Christ, because the Corbin of Christ is charity, which Jesus calls love and Paul calls charity. They use the same word, but your translators translate the love that Christ is talking about as charity when Paul says it. And so you get the idea that somehow Paul and Christ are talking about two different things. But what you don't understand, what they're talking about is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God at hand here now with people taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You don't do that in your churches. You send them to those men 
who you call fathers and benefactors who exercise authority. So you're not a Christian. Write it down. You're a modern Christian who is who doesn't do what Jesus says. Not the real Jesus. He does what ministers tell you that Jesus said, but they conveniently don't tell you that he said not to be like the other governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Don't you realize that your your offerings to these governments is offerings to idols constructed by men's hands? I mean, wasn't that how you got these men in charge? You signed agreements. You made covenants with them. To get benefits, to get free education, health care, take care of my parents in their old age. You signed all those agreements, those covenants. You have no daily ministration in your church like the early church had. You have no pure religion. You don't take care of the fatherless and the widows and the orphans and the needy of your society through charity alone. You all take care of them, you know, except for a few small isolated groups. You all take care of them through the men who exercise authority. And what you give is just a token. You're not Christians. You're not following Christ. You're modern Christians, fake Christians, following a fake gospel that you're saved because of what comes out of your mouth. You don't have to be a doer of the word according to that gospel. You're just saved because you saved yourself by the magic words. Witchcraft. Ridiculous. Absurd. Why aren't you in a congregation that is seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Why aren't you giving regularly so that men can actually go out and start to take care of the needy of that society? Why aren't you building that society reposting this message over and over again on Facebook and YouTube and and uh, and Twitter and all these social medias. Showing them what these words really mean when it says religion. Religion is the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. It's not what you think about God. But if you really understand Christ, you will be performing your duty to God and your fellow man. You will be taking care of the needy of your society that are seeking the kingdom of God. That's your society. Your society is only those who are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, some people may not know that they're Christians. You have to look into their heart to find out what's written there. Some of them may be Roman centurions. I met a Roman centurion yesterday. (laughs) And he was very nice, very kind, very accepting of the fact that I come from another government. He was okay with that. You know, he he did me no harm. I wasn't the droid he was looking for. (laughs) But... You know, it, it was it was it was a delight to meet him. Amongst all the Christians that I deal with, so-called modern Christians that I deal with, he was a delight. <laughs> he was a Roman centurion. <laughs> so what's the what's really going on? What is the real spiritual mechanics? I can't. I'm not going to do all kinds of miracles so that you will believe by miracles. 
Christ doesn't want you to believe by miracles. He wants you to look into your own heart and say, Am I doing what Jesus said to do? Am I seeking a kingdom of God at hand for the living on earth that practices pure religion through charitable means? Am I looking for that? Am I seeking that? Am I striving for that? Am I persevering for that? Or am I going to let my ego get in the way and abandon ship because somebody on board's got bad breath? Or somebody on board said the wrong thing? I mean, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in your calendar of self-righteousness? Because that's what they are. All these little fake rituals, fake religion. Religion is the performance of the duty, your duty to God and your fellow man. And your duty to God is to love your fellow man at least as much as you love yourself. You have to care about them at least as much as you care about yourself. So where's your daily ministration? We had, have people that are on the network and they, they were in contact once with what we call a personal contact minister. The whole purpose of a personal contact minister is to help you get into a congregation. And yet, for years, personal contact ministers often didn't get into a congregation. People say, well, why do we need to be in a congregation? Well, where's your daily ministration? Do you have ministers that you can send to Sweden, uh, to Corinth, to Ephesus, to Galatia? Do you have ministers you can send funds with them to the people over there, in uh, people over there in places like Australia? If the people in Australia needed help, you know, they had one of their big fires or something, dust storms and or floods, they have floods too. <laughs> and they're going to have earthquakes. And do you have people that you can know who to send to there in Australia to help them out? Early church had that. They knew where everybody was because they had been preaching the kingdom of God. Not the little coven of God in your little household church. That if you're if you are not connected with all the other house churches that are seeking the kingdom of God. If you're not connected with them so that you know how you have, you know, means of supplying aid to them and know who to supply aid to and through whom. If you don't have that, you don't have the kingdom of God. Because the early church had that. 14,000 families were evicted from Rome under Claudius. Just evicted. And many times, uh, the head of the household was conscripted into work programs. So suddenly, the family had to leave town without the breadwinner. That was Christians. Because they were Christians, they had to leave town. And the, the breadwinner was conscripted for six months or a year to work for the state. So, Where's the family going to be in six months or a year? 
without the breadwinner. Got small kids. Have to leave town with what they could carry. What, what happened to them? Well, if they were real Christians seeking the kingdom of God, they had a place to go. Because they had a network that reached all over the Roman Empire. And they were received there. What do you think Paul was making tents for? There was a need. Because these people were going to have to be housed in other areas and backyards and other communities. And they would have to be helped out and fed and given work and participate in a society. But the more they were persecuted, the more that brotherly love grew. The more they they found out who really cared. You know, I had a guy who was uh, underemployed. He only had a few hours a week that he was working. And uh, we had an old lady who needed help. Real nearby him. And we let him know. We let everybody know that was in that network. But they weren't really a strong congregation. But we let them know. And they knew. And she didn't need a lot of help. She just, you know, like needed light bulbs changed. And and maybe a little uh, somebody to push the lawnmower. She had the lawnmower. She just she couldn't push it herself anymore. So he could have gone over there. He's only working 20 hours a week. He could have gone over there and put in five hours. It would have meant a world of difference to her. But he didn't volunteer to do that. He didn't do that. You know, I I remember when I was in, in uh, going to University of Minnesota, I was at an extension out in the middle of the woods. <laughs> That's where I was working. And somebody needed help. I hitchhiked because my car had been wrecked shortly before I started the, that school. And so I didn't have a new car yet. I was going to get by without that. I hitchhiked to work, caught rides uh, to school. Uh, and I made it all the way through the winter that way. <laughs> Saved a lot of money. But when people needed help, I hitchhiked to go there. or And I, that often meant walking on the side of the road. And I didn't think anything of it. Why should I? But this guy wasn't going to volunteer. But he tells me that he is somebody for service. He, he wants to serve. But I don't see it. And I, I have I know lots of people say they're Christians and they believe in Jesus. And sometimes they do do little charitable things. But it's little things. They are not the entire social welfare of their com- Christian community. They depend heavily the majority of their dependence is upon Caesar. The men who exercise authority one over the other. The men who call themselves benefactors but force the offerings of the people and even borrow money against the future. You're all back in the bondage of Egypt. You're all back under tribute again. And those of you who don't want to pay tribute but don't want to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness... You are foolish virgins. You're you're locked out of the kingdom. Now back to that spiritual mechanics. Put it back in that terms. Why do you think God will bless you in in the days of calamity? When you will not bless one another in these good times. If you will not come together in congregations of caring. For other congregation, not just your congregation, 
Not just the people you can fit into your house. You know, that makes you feel good. Like, I am, you know, I'm so benevolent because I let people into my house. And I, you know, my house is a place of refuge. Well, your house is not the house of God. Unless you are connecting your house in a network of righteousness. A network of charity. A network of the Corbin of Christ. Practicing pure religion. Not just for your community, but for the whole community of Christians all around the world. Well, there are many people who are seeking the kingdom of God, but they are not being told what that looks like by their ministers. We tell you what that looks like. It doesn't look like isolated home churches. It looks like networked home churches. They're actually caring about the next home church as much as they care about their own. So that would mean that if you received a dollar in donations to take care of the needy in your own congregation so that nobody had to go to men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority. Now, most of you don't do that. You may help somebody out, a little token helping, but you're not the entire social welfare of your community. And I know it'll take a while to get there. But you may be put on the fast track whether you like it or not as the system collapses. Best you start now seeking that kingdom and that righteousness. But if you collect a dollar for that purpose in your local community, 50 cents of that should go out to the rest of the world. If you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You will take that 50 cents and you will cast it upon the waters in hopes that it comes back to you. Because someday you may have to leave Texas. Someday you may have to leave Sydney. Someday you may have to leave the town where you live now. The safe, secure home that you think is Christ's home now. Where will you go? Do you have a network that reaches all across the modern Roman Empire and around the world? Christ had that network. Right out of the box, he had that network. All the people that came at Pentecost and were receiving that baptism, many of them were going to go back to other communities in Galatia and Corinth and Ephesus and Ireland and Rome and everywhere else. And it was a full-time job for the ministers to connect all these little thousand points of light. <laughs> these thousand points of righteous light. This light of Christ. But in doing that, a mysterious spiritual mechanics takes place. It's not just you being drawn together. Now, you know, I told you about the two ships, two wooden ships out at sea on a becalmed sea, no wind. They can't move because they're sailing ships. They just sit there. Sails aloft with no wind to fill them. They will be drawn towards each other. What happens if you have 500 ships out there on that Bacom Sea? Will they all be drawn towards each other? <laughs> yep. They will all be drawn towards each other and become this massive giant floating deal. And they'll have to push off from each other. (laughs) 
when they set sail if the wind picks up. Otherwise, they'll be banging into each other. But that picture of everybody drifting towards each other, they will only do that if they have this commonality. And in the case of the ships, the commonalities, they all have mass on board. But uh, Christianity, what's the commonality of Christianity? If they love Jesus, if they really love Jesus, they will care about others. They will be willing to sacrifice for others. They will come together to serve others. When you have church service, somebody's actually going to get served. (laughs) Most people say this is a great church service because it made me feel so good. (laughs) That's not it. That's not church service. That's apostate church services. Make you feel so good. Because the Spirit of God is not a feeling. The Spirit of God is righteousness. Are you righteous? Are you caring for one another? No, not really. <laughs> so, so you can ask a lot of questions like where... Do you find the daily ministration of the early church and pure religion uh, that James talks about and the Corbin of Jesus Christ in your life? Are you, are you following the blessed strategies of Christ like the early Christians were doing? Are you, are you seeking to become the entire social welfare, the entire banking system? Of the kingdom of God. There was a banking system in the kingdom of God. It really can't be called a bank. Like we think of bank. But it was a substitute for banks. That's what they were doing with those seven men. That uh, were chosen. To wait on tables. The word tables there is the same word for bank. It's translated bank elsewhere in the Bible. Why? Because there were people in different parts. The Greeks for instance. Were not... They were needing more help at that particular time. And they weren't getting it. Because it was hard to get the funds and the materials there to get them. I mean, you had to have, you know, an internationalist who was Romeos like Paul to help move those things around with the the Levite Barnabas. Who was Hoses, but became a minister of the church, meeting the criteria of Christ. Which 90% of the ministers today do not meet. They do not meet the criteria of Christ. Christ said you had to do this, this, and this, and this to be his disciples. They don't do that. They don't even tell you what those criteria are. Oh, they read from Timothy and Titus, but they don't necessarily read from Christ when Christ says you have to give up everything you have. He was really saying they had to own all things in common, just like the Levites before them. Because they were going to do the job of the Levites. This is the kingdom of God that he took away from these other guys. They were calling themselves the kingdom of God. They were the Pharisees. He took the kingdom away from them. And he gave it. I appoint unto you a kingdom to his little flock. And the little flock grew into a bigger and bigger flock. And they, as a flock, went out and baptized people by the thousands into a network of charity that provided all the social welfare during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. That's what was going on. And the reason they were persecuted is out of jealousy and envy because what they were doing was working and what the leftist socialist Romans and Greeks and and Ephesians 
who were not Christians, they were doing this socialist thing that was not working. Just like the European Union, just like America has gone socialist. It's not a capitalist nation anymore. It doesn't have any capital. A note is not capital. Capitalism requires that the means of production is in your hands. A note is telling you that the means of production is in somebody else's hands. And you got a note. <laughs> Representative, you don't even have capitalism in this country. That's why it's not working. Because you left capitalism back in 1913, 1933, and 1970. But anyway, you're getting the picture. You're following the pattern. Christ is showing you how to govern yourselves. Let's talk more about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Like I said, I have several articles up. Spiritual economics. Uh, Mysteries of the Kingdom. Dendritic trees. That's the the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Now, they, they have certain similarities. Both these things that they call trees. Trees of life. Trees of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is your mind. What you construct in your mind. You don't have to describe construct all idols with stone and wood you can actually you know i i was a construction guy for years and i would construct things on paper and in my mind over and over again before i actually took hammer and nail and started putting them together because uh, like i say an eraser is cheaper than a crowbar and uh you know tearing thing it's easier to fix things on paper than it is to fix things in reality so so you plan that out. You count the cost. You figure how things work and are going to work. And you build it in your mind before you build it in reality. Well, that's the way construction works. But in the kingdom of God, you cannot just build the kingdom of God in your mind. You must actually physically take care of other people. And in that process... Of, of dealing with the reality around you, you begin to clean away the idols of your imagination. Because you confront reality. That's why God put us in reality. Is so that we would confront reality and reality would confront us in our shortcomings and our laziness and our apathy and our self-righteousness. So we've put together quite an opportunity for study. And and again, coming up May 9th, we're going to start the Free Church Report. Um, Hopefully we will be able to do that. 
you know, we offer all these things for free, but we have to go out and still make a living and and get things done. We need more workers. Christ had the same problem. The workers are few. The people who are really willing to commit to being a minister of Christ and serve as a minister of Christ, as ordained ministers of Christ, meeting the qualifications of Christ, are few. I mean, there are people who say they want to, but are they willing to do the sacrifice, the 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 commitment, the hours, the unrewarded hours <laughs> of the ministry? I mean, Paul talked about it. You know, he got beat and and uh, all kinds of difficulties. It's not going to be easy, but in the long run, it doesn't really matter to the real believer. He's gonna he's gonna work that way. Are you going to work that way? Are you going to support those who work that way? With just even a little sacrifice, a regular sacrifice. That's up to you, who you decide to give to. See, I'm not everybody's minister. I'm usually minister of minister. I minister people all the time. Like I said, just the other day, I was on the side of the road ministering to a Roman centurion. Uh, that's That's goes with the territory. But the kingdom of God is an actual system of righteousness. It operates the perfect law of liberty. So you get to decide what minister you are going to congregate with. Not under, but with. Because that minister's job is not to direct you except to the Holy Spirit that will direct you on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. His job is to connect you with the other congregations. That's his job. So that you can cast your bread upon the waters. So that you can love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. If you only gather with those that love you in your little home church, then you only love those that love you. There's no grace there. Christ says that, makes that clear. You have to care about others. You don't even know. People that are far away. Outside of being able to help you. You know, in spiritual economics, I talk about spiritual... uh, uh, The spiritual economics is actually originally a a title to a book by Eric uh, Butterworth. And they also, there's another book, Sacred Economics by Charles Einstein. And these books are uh, both talk about this uh, changing your thinking, which is what repentance is, is changing your thinking. Produ- to produce a more prosperous life in the world, at least for you. And if you, you know, if you buy their books, along with some of the other books like Catherine uh, Ponder's, she has a book, The Dynamic Laws of Prosperity, or uh, Amit uh, Gaswami, who has Quantum Activism Can Save Civilization. That's the name of his book. It actually goes on. Few People Can Change Human Evolution is the part of the full title of the book. But if you if you buy their books, I can tell you this, they will become more prosperous. <laughs> Because they're selling books. But I go on to say in the article there, but but the truth is you will only prosper as an individual or as a community of individuals 
if you understand the true mysteries of life in the universe. While you may find clues to the mysteries of a prosperous life in those books, neither you nor the authors will understand those mysteries unless people as individuals are willing to see and know the whole truth about themselves and the world and provide for it. Not only about economics, but about, you know, their very soul. The economics of the soul. Jesus talks about a treasure. You're supposed to put up your treasure in the kingdom of God. What is that treasure? And how, how do you make a deposit? You lay down your life. You care about others. As much as you care about yourself. How, do you, how are you doing that if you only care about those that you love, that gather in your little house church? That's what you, your, your personal spiritual minister is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is going to come as you begin to draw near other people seeking that same kingdom. Because he has, as those ships are drawn nearer and nearer each other, the force magnifies. And that's that minister who gathers with other ministers is supposed to be connecting you with all these other individuals seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Something spiritual takes place when you do that. There's a linking of your spirit with these other spirits who you do not even know. Your minister may have met them, but you may never meet them. You may occasionally meet them, you know, at uh, tabernacles, which is what they used to do in Israel. And those are good things. But that's, you know, like a one week out of the year where you meet. And you, you meet some. I mean, if you get a large number, we have room for, for thousands to camp. But why aren't there thousands coming? Well, part of that's your fault. Because you're not coming either. You're not gathering in a congregation. You're not contributing to that congregation regularly. We know the people that are putting on this um, big event up in uh, Oregon here when they have the big eclipse in August. And uh, it's one of the groups is Symbiosis is putting this huge deal on. They're spending millions of dollars preparing. Putting in roads. They've been putting in roads for months now. They're going to have yurts set up uh, and tents set up and they're renting them out for ridiculous amounts of money because uh, there are a lot of people with money come there. But it takes a lot of money to put on these big events. It takes a lot of support. But the guy who's doing it, he's already a millionaire and he's been putting all this together. He's a young guy and he knows how to do it. And we know him. And... You know, I know people who will be setting things up there. But uh, we could be doing it here. This is just as nice a place. But we could be doing it for the purposes of Christ. To gather people together so they start making those connections. Those spiritual connections that begin to arc like in your mind. Those dendritic tree that begins to think and see and perceive. Because that there in the tree of life follows that same pattern, but it's in a spiritual realm. 
And when you start connecting more and more with the spirits of sacrifice and the spirit of service and the spirit of love and the spirit of charity, these are all defining the same spirit. Something mystical takes place. And it does it because you gather together wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there also I am. What happens if it's two in two thousand? What happens if it's a hundred thousand or a hundred and forty four thousand? Gathering together in the character of Christ, coming to sacrifice and to serve, to tell the truth, no matter how hard it is for you to receive. And part of the truth is you're not really a Christian now. Your emotional, imaginary religion, thinking that you have accepted Christ, but not doing what He says, not keeping His commandments, still coveting your neighbor's goods, still not becoming the benefactors who don't exercise authority, but exercise liberty and choice and love. How can you say you're a Christian and you're not doing that? How can you say you're a Christian and don't have a network that reaches all across the country and all around the world that is constantly helping people in that network and occasionally helping people outside that network when the Spirit calls you to do so? I can't tell you when that is. You know, the Spirit might tell you to give $10 to that guy on the side of the street with a sign. Not likely. That's not the Spirit of Christ usually doing that. But he might. I can't make rules up about that. But I I do talk about the principle of charity. Charity must be given in a way that it strengthens the poor. It doesn't drill them a well. It shows them how to drill a well for themselves. It doesn't give them food. It shows them how to obtain food, prepare food. If you're running a kitchen and it's not manned by the homeless who are out gleaning in the fields to have something to cook, who aren't out helping other people. That's what the homeless should be doing. Out there, you know, picking up trash along the street. All wearing a little vest that they're a part of his church. Picking up trash along the side of the street and seeking donations so that they can help the people that are in the hedges, in the streets, in the places that have been abandoned by society and help them begin to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Help them learn to serve others, to care about others. To forgive the guy who littered this and pick it up and put it in the trash. Whatever it is. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things in the trash. Most of it's human trash that people have just thrown away and tossed aside. I mean, the guys in the churches should be coming together and doing this. But they're not. And this is the same problem at the time of Christ. They couldn't get the people to come to the wedding feast. Because, oh, they were too busy. You know, with their churchanity. With their imagined spirituality. That you have to start thinking outside of this religious box that people have created that they say is the church. And start realizing that the church is a way. That's what that's what Christianity was called for years and years. It was called the way. And that's what we uh, uh, need to understand is that 
this was the way of Christ. This was how they did it. They they gathered together in these tens, hundreds, and thousands in these congregations, which we see all over Europe. I give you the examples in the, the book, Thy Kingdom Come, and I could give you more. I've come across many more uh, over the years. But, you know, I could fill that whole book with showing you the examples of how the most common form of government with these voluntary systems depended not on taxes, but on free will contributions through networks of 10 or 12 families gathered together with other groups of 10 or 12 families in a vast network that spread all over Great Britain, Scotland, France, Germany. And when one group needed help, the other group was there for them. It was, they did this religiously. But the world today says, don't look to one another. Look to us up here, the gods of Washington, D.C., or the gods of Sydney, Australia, or the gods of whatever, London, or the gods of Rome. (laughs) No. Look to one another. Look to the Holy Spirit in one another's heart. Use the Holy Spirit to guide you in knowing who to help and when to help. But I can guarantee you, you need to be helping somebody every day. And you need to do it wisely. And wisely means to have a network of ministers who are actually know you and know the ministers of other groups and and work at getting to know them getting to know their heart. At the same time, they're getting to know the Holy Spirit. You cannot conjure up the Holy Spirit. He comes at, he listeth where he wills. But it only makes sense that you actually practice the religion of Christ, the way of Christ. Like I said, that was called the way. So are we doing that way of Christ? And and that way is love. Are you doing it by charity? Because remember again, the one you see Jesus use this word love over and over again. When Paul uses it, most of the time they translate it charity. Because love is charity and charity is love. But real charity is giving in a way, again, that strengthens the poor. This is what early Christianity was doing. It's not what the fathers of the earth does. Most Christians today go to the fathers of the earth and they apply or pray for their benefits, even though they know their benefits are provided by a bankrupt nation that is borrowing against the future of your children, cursing your children with debt. All these churches are wrong. They're nice guys, but they're wrong when it comes to preaching the gospel of the kingdom. But some of them would begin to understand this. And the more we find that begin to understand this, you know, those ships, you know, which way do the ships drift? Did you know the biggest ship, shift, ship, ship is shifting towards the smaller ship at the same rate the smaller ship is shifting towards the bigger ship. Except for the fact the bigger ship has more mass to set into motion so the speed at which it is traveling is not the same. 
the little ship looks like it's being drawn to the big ship more than the big ship to the little ship. Because you see it moving more. Okay, now when you have three, four, five ships together, all the ships will start coming towards that ship. That that larger mass. Now they're all being pulled together at the same rate. This is the mysterious of the quantum. of, And, and you can interpret this into the reality of the spiritual coming together. But their motion will be towards the bigger mass because the bigger mass will not move and it will usually be the center masses of the entire network of ships. But we don't actually have to move people to a particular location. We may do it once a year or twice a year, but what we're doing is connecting them in a worldwide network that is thinking a different way because they've repented. It's not going to happen overnight. Although the coming of the Holy Spirit may come overnight. Destruction may come overnight. There there might be a night without a night. (laughs) Uh, I may be giving you a clue. But uh, it's coming. This confrontation with the reality. It's coming to all of us every day. And the reality is we need to do things according to the liberty that Christ has given us. Abraham, Moses, John the Baptist, Jesus, the early church, all advocated a daily ministration that depended upon charity. Not upon force. Not upon taking a bite out of one another. But upon freely giving. It was not like the systems of Corbin set up by the Pharisees by Rome. Rome had a system of Corbin. Greece had systems of Corbin. But they often were supported by taxation. By forced offerings. The Corbin that sets you free is a Corbin that is done by free will offerings. By charity. So that's what you need to be building. That's why you need a minister. That's why you need to come together in congregation. Congregations, again, are just free assemblies. They're not corporations. They're freely giving according to your conscience and the conscience of your minister. What you give to him, he gives to somebody else and you keep passing it on. It's like, you know, the not only does your heart beat, the vessels in your body, the arteries in your body move the blood along with muscle tension around those vessels. It pumps There's an actual pumping action through the vascular system of your body. Same as in the lymphatic system, although it's a little different in the lymphatic system. It's all part of this movement where every part of the body is just as important. If a man's arm dies, the man will die. There will be blood clots, there will be gangrene, uh, there will be infection. There's no part of the body that we don't want to live. But if you're focused on your just your little local congregation, you will die from the rest of the body. If the arm dies, we cut it off. Yeah, and so you can't not be a part of this network for 10 years knowing about it and then say, 
Oh, we need help over here. We're going to say, who are you? Where were you when somebody needed help over here? (laughs) And you gave nothing. You served in no way. You just had your little feel-good get-together in your little local home church or your little local group or your little personal Bible study. You have to reach out. Christ came to serve. If you don't gather together to serve others, not just those you love, but others, he taught his apostles to go out and serve others. That was one of the things that came across in preparing for our our series on Paul is that that everybody likes to quote this part where he tells them to go out without a purse. And he says, you know, don't take a purse. Just go out, freely give. You freely receive, now freely give. And they went out and healed. And they expected nothing in return. But they were housed and fed and all this stuff. And that they weren't, a curses came upon those people. But that this was a particular instance where he sent them out. Later on, he says, you know, I sent you out without a purse before. And it was part of their lessons. Part of their learning to be the ministers of his kingdom. But he says, now, take your purse. This is his final instructions. Take your purse. And take a sword, too. (laughs) And go out. So this idea that you're not supposed to support your ministers is ridiculous. Even Jesus was receiving support from uh, Susanna and others were supporting his ministry with a subject. Why did he need supporting his ministry? Well, what expenses does the guy with sandals walking around camping out all the time have anyway? This was the national social welfare system of the kingdom of God. That was being supported. They were taking care of the needy of their society. Through faith, hope and charity. And the perfect law of liberty. Are you doing that? Well until you do. You ain't found the kingdom. So God bless. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.